What did he emphasize? What did he not mention? What um, was his favorite or most important sermon? And it's hard to say, but we can say one thing, that the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the New Testament is what we would call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 together. And it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to look at it over the next few weeks, because of where Jesus gave it. But this is one of the early sermons that he gave in his ministry, and it absolutely turned things upside down. And to understand that, we need to realize what the religious climate, what the other teachings were like during his day. So let's look in Matthew chapter 1, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, as we begin our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Verse number 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of it. I pray that your spirit would give us understanding, that you would give me fitly spoken words, that it might go forth in the way that you would choose, that we would have ears to hear in all of it. Be glorified now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ was very early on in his life and ministry at this time when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and we don't know exactly which mount it was. It was certainly in the area of Galilee. There's a spot where if you ever have a chance to travel to the Bible lands where they think it happened. And it doesn't really look so much like this, but you do see the water in the background. And what it was, it was more of a hill near the side of the, the Sea of Galilee where he could have been on top of the hill and he could have spoke towards the sea and all of the people would have been between him and the water and it would have been an easy place for the sound to have traveled. And it's uh, a garden now and they have a church there and, and it looks beautiful. I don't know if that's where it, where it really was, but I do know this. In verse number one, it says, and seeing the multitudes, there was a crowd of people gathered together. He wasn't in any large area uh, or, uh, excuse me, he wasn't in any area that would be heavily populated. People came out to hear him. And when he saw the opportunity, he went up into a mountain and got himself set so that people could sit around him and listen. And he set himself done, down and the, the crowds came to him, not just the 12 disciples, but many of the people that would become his followers. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. This seated position with many people around was common of what the rabbis would have done in his time period. There were many traveling, preaching rabbis. But I want you to know that what he talked about was completely at odds with what all of the other rabbis would have been talking about. If you're familiar with the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the group of Jewish believers that really, uh, excuse me, they were not believers, but they were followers, supposedly, of the Jewish faith. And they really emphasized the law. 
what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. It was all about the rules. Eat this, don't eat this, don't do this on the Sabbath day, uh, prepare these things ahead of time, don't wear this, uh, make sure that you give that. There's all sorts of rules surrounded by them, and it was very much from the outside, from the common person looking at the Pharisees. It was very much where people like, those are the holiest people that are out there. We'll, we'll never be like them. They are the cleanest living people. But one of the keys to this sermon, for us to understand it, is found in Matthew 5 and verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We'll get to that passage in depth in another sermon. But what we find in that verse is this is very much Jesus teaching the opposite of what the Pharisees teach. He began in verse number three saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed, you, you, you might wonder, what does it actually mean to be blessed? Well, in the minds of Jew, uh, the, the Jewish hearers of what Jesus was saying, this would have been talking about divine joy, about perfect happiness, about being in a state of enjoying the goodness of God. And the fact that he was talking about how you can enjoy that was a huge difference, refreshing difference from what the Pharisees were preaching. And this sermon, especially these, what they call the Beatitudes. How many of you have heard the term Beatitudes? And maybe you're thinking, what does that even mean? Well, if you were to look in Latin, the idea of being blessed in the word for being blessed, if you were to describe it, is bias. And here you have the Beatitudes. It's all connected with that. And so this was a phrase that came about. But really, these are the things that God wants in the life of those that follow him. These are the attitudes that God is trying to cultivate. These are the behaviors. These are the ways of living that when someone is rightly related to God, these are the things that will characterize their life. Praise God. One day in the kingdom, these are the things that will not just characterize a few believers here and there, but will more than often than not characterize society. There's more to be talking about of the kingdom, but let's look at what it means for individual believers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are people who recognize they need the Lord, who consciously live in the understanding that they do not have what it takes to make it through, that they have to rely on the Lord. It's a place of humility. This is very different than what the Pharisees would have been. The Pharisees would have thought that they were rich in spirit. They would have boasted about how far they've come with their walk in God and all the good things that they do and how better they are than the people who are without and that are lesser than them. But here, Jesus is saying, if you're poor in spirit, meaning that you're humble, you understand your need for God, you are going to be blessed. And how will you be blessed? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. If anything is going to get somebody into the kingdom of heaven, it will be calling upon the mercy of God. It will be seeing what Christ has done for us and trusting in his work on the cross, and not in our own selves. Now that sounds very easy, but the further we go in the Christian life, the easier it is to forget where God brought us from. The further we get from that day of salvation, when we called on the Lord, it is very easy to think that we got here by ourselves. And that is a great mistake. Jesus says, I want you to cultivate this idea of being humble before the Lord, being poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. People that mourn are touched with the grief of others. 
People that mourn are filled with compassion when people are sad, when they're going through loss. The Pharisees did not care about people. They did not care about people. They cared about being right. They cared about other people respecting them and what they could get from people, but they didn't care one bit for the people that they were taking care of. They were religious professionals. They were religious professionals. They weren't shepherds. They were, I, I hate to say it, the vast majority of them were hirelings. They did what they did because of the money and the prestige and what it earned them in society. And Jesus here holds up and says, if you want to enjoy the blessing of God, and you most certainly will, is if you are touched with the grief and the hurt of others. If you will get involved in their lives and act on that compassion. And when you help those that are mourning, you yourself will be comforted when it comes time for you to be grieved, for when it's time for you to mourn. Verse number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I think the meek, we, we oftentimes think that means weak. It's the same thing that it's weakness, but it's not. Being meek is having strength, but having that strength under control. It's about being gentle. Now, you don't have to be gentle if you're weak, right? Because you're, you're too weak to be anything other than soft. But when you have strength, strength of character, strength of commitment, strength of morality, when you have something like that and you don't use it as a club to beat other people up with, in fact, you're gentle about it. There was nothing gentle about the Pharisees. They would come in, they would pronounce their judgment on people, they were very critical of people. It was all about what Jesus was not doing right, about what his disciples were not doing right, and they were trying to always get him in trouble, trying to get him to take a side on divisive issues so that he might get at least one group at odds with him. Opposed to being overbearing or high and mighty or impatient, Jesus is saying, we ought to be meek. I don't know if you've ever seen, sometimes, uh, I think I saw it on a swim team thing, that um, you know, the meek inherit the earth, but the, the strong inherit the water or something like that, right? And they think that they're all clever. What does it mean even to inherit the earth? We all think, and, well, let me back up. We used to think, the world thinks, that nice skies finish last. That only the people that take with their own hands and grasp for success, for money, for fame. Those are the only people that are going to win when it's all said and over, said and done. But what the Lord is telling us here is that those who are gentle, those who are kind, they are the ones that will win when it's all said and done. They are the ones who will inherit. Verse number six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Imagine somebody that wants to please God with everything that's in them. Righteousness or doing what God requires or doing what would please the Lord and then being hungry after that. You've probably uh, at times seen your children or you remember as children sporting events or some activity that they were participating in and they wanted to make sure you were watching or you wanted to make sure your parents were watching. And you're like, did you see what I did? Did you see what just happened? They're so desirous to please you. Now take that and bring it into the realm of trying to please the Father. There are people who hunger after it, who thirst after it, as though it's the very stuff that they need to keep them alive and keep them going. They're so desirous to see the Lord pleased with their lives, as opposed to being hungry and thirsting after control or power or fame. 
See, there's a lot of man-centered religion out there that uses religion for their own ends, that uses religion for their own. It's not about the Lord, it's about man. And Jesus is very clear that people who use religion like that to get other people to think well of them, they have their reward on this earth. But there is a much greater reward for those who do what they do with the right motive of serving the Father in heaven. What do you hunger and thirst after? What do you hunger and thirst after? What motivates you? What gets you going in the morning? What are we trying to do? Is it, is it just to keep people off our back? To pay our bills? Is it just to make some other people? See, it's very easy to be motivated by the wrong thing. And Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, then be motivated by pleasing God. And in fact, that's a very freeing thing. Because when you're only trying to please one person, that's a whole lot easier than trying to please everybody else. A whole lot easier. And the Lord actually will help us do that which he requires. If you know Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And what we're going to read about here tonight and in all of the, the subsequent nights as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be constantly reminded how much we need Jesus. Because living like this is beyond what normal man can do. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus turned the world upside down with his preaching because he took what they thought was religion and what they thought they needed to have to please God and he reoriented it to match truth. And it was so different from what they knew that it felt like it was being turned upside down. But to hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled, they will be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Compassion with somebody who's done something wrong. Withholding the bad that somebody deserves. You see, there wasn't much mercy being shown by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very exacting. You did this, and so now you deserve this. There wasn't a lot of mercy when they would talk about the things of the Lord. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to be. I want you to be merciful. And when you are merciful, you will experience mercy from God, and you will experience mercy from others. You know what this is called? The law of sowing and reaping. When you are merciful, expect to receive mercy in return. When you are gracious, expect to see, receive grace in return. When you are generous, expect to receive generosity in return. People say, well, that's karma. Well, long before there was the idea of karma was the truth of the law of sowing and reaping. We see it all throughout scripture. It's just other religions took note that whatever you do, ends up coming back to you, and not just the same amount, but more than what you put in. And they notice this seems to be some sort of universal truth, and they wrote it down. But this is what we know to be the law of sowing and reaping. It's a universal law. And so if we want to receive mercy, we sow mercy. Are you a merciful person? Are you a merciful person? Sometimes I am not a merciful person because I don't want somebody to get away with it. You ever felt like that? If I show them mercy, they're just going to do it again. If I show them mercy, they're just going to walk all over me. If I don't hold their feet to the fire, they're never going to learn. They're never going to change. And then you know what I realized? I can't change anybody. I can't even really change myself. Do you believe that there's a God in heaven? Do you believe that he's all-powerful? Do you believe that he works in the heart of men and women to make them into what they ought to be? Do you believe that after someone comes to know Christ as Savior, there's this process 
by which God makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. It's called sanctification, sanctifying us. Do you believe that that's real? If you do, it allows you to be merciful. It allows you, because I am not the judge of all the earth. The Lord is the judge of all the earth, and he will do right. He will take, if somebody's feet need to be held to the fire, you know who's going to do a far better job than me? Is the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith Bill. No. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He does it in a right way. Because when I get involved in vengeance and trying to, to my flesh gets involved. And it's no longer. The Bible says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In other words, when I get angry, I oftentimes can end up not working out the right thing, taking it to the wrong place. That's how you and I can be merciful because the Lord really does work in people. He says in verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The pure in heart. People who can be close to God because there's nothing between them and the Father. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. None of this world's delusive elusive dream. It is what the songwriter says is that there's nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. There's nothing between. I love that song. It's one of my, my favorite hymns because I want that. And when there's nothing between you and God, you get to see him much more clearly. You get a better vision of who he is. You get a better understanding of who he is, of what he likes, of what he's trying to do in your life. You get more understanding because when you're pure in heart, you can see the Lord more clearly. You can see the Lord more clearly. It says that they shall see God. If you're not having an encounter with God, perhaps we ought to look and see how is our heart doing? Is there pureness there or is there something wrong? Is there some smudge or something dirty? Have you, have you ever had your windshield wipers, or excuse me, the, the place that squirts the windshield wiper fluid freeze? And then it's winter time and there's salt and there's all sorts of gunk on your windshield and you hit that button in order to have it spray, but it's already frozen. So now all you have is your windshield wiper smearing that on your windshield and you're trying to drive and now you've made it even worse. That's what it's like when we try and see the Lord and our heart isn't pure. I'm not talking about saved or unsaved. I'm talking about people who know the Lord, but there's stubborn sin that we refuse to address, that we refuse to get rid of. Sin that maybe we've kept around as like a cherished, cherished pet for too long, unwilling to address it or do something with it. And when we have that and we say, I really don't have that closeness with God. I don't have that fellowship with him. It's all connected. It's all connected. Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know people that like to fight. I'm sure you know somebody that likes to fight. Maybe you're the person that likes to fight. How many of you like haggling? Come on, be, be honest. How many of you like haggling? I can't stand it. I do not like it. Pastor Steve, how do you feel about haggling? I don't like it at all. But I remember my dear friend Stephen, who, who passed away last year, uh, was a missionary in the Middle East. And even before he gave his life to do that, he was so good at arguing. He loved to haggle. He loved to nitpick over stuff. And it was just wild. That, that was his natural mode. I just want everybody to get along. 
But, you know, he was needed with that mindset over in that part of the world to minister to the people that God sent him to. But you see, God is calling us here to be peacemakers because God is a peacemaker. Think of all the great lengths that God the Father went to to make peace between us and him. Of what he was... Now, was God right in leaving us in our own sin to suffer the fate of hell forever? Would God have been right and just to do that? Absolutely. But because of his love, he desired that there might be peace made between us and him. And so he went to great lengths to make peace, that we might be reconciled one to the other. And that's why he sent his son. And so when you and I seek to restore peace between others, maybe ourselves and someone else, or, or two people outside, or maybe many parties, when we seek to take conflict and diffuse it, we are very much like God the Father. We are very much like God the Father. And that's why they shall be called the children of God, because you're just like your dad. I don't know how many of you got to see Tom Wardsnarowski when he was here for the funeral yesterday, but not only did he look like his dad, but he sounded like his dad. You, it, was, it was a little bit spooky. It was a little bit spooky. Now, I don't know that he had the full baritone register of his father, but it was close. You could almost close your eyes and imagine he was standing up here and singing. You'd say, you look just like your dad. And in fact, a lot of the people who were here, they looked very strongly like Wojnarowski's. Very strongly. Why? Because there's a family resemblance. And friend, when you choose to be a peacemaker over a contentious person, when you choose to be a peacemaker over getting your rights, I know my rights, when you choose to set those aside in order to have peace, you'll find that you're even more like your Father in heaven, who set aside the Lord Jesus, his glory, for a time that he might be made in the likeness of sinful flesh, that he might step into our place to die for us and as us. Peacemakers. Verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution is oppression. It's harassment. It's when you're treated poorly. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's something that happens over and over again. We know very little, if you're from this part of the world, we know very little about persecution. We do face some things. If you are openly speaking to others about the Lord Jesus Christ, there may be times when people avoid you. They may talk about you behind your back. They may talk to you to your face. But chances are you're not going to lose your job over it, though it has happened. You're not going to be beaten in the street, which happens in other places around the world, as grievous as it is, just because you name the name of Christ. We don't, we don't face that, but I want you to imagine for a moment, if you did face that, how could you be blessed in that? That doesn't sound like a blessed situation. Well, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if the kingdoms of this world deny you and reject you and refuse to receive you, you have a, a kingdom in heaven that is ready to receive you. That no matter what it's like here and what you go through here and the things you're passed over about and the things that you're neglected about and the, the reputation that might be sullied in some people's eyes here, there's a far greater kingdom waiting. And it says that we're blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness sake. By the way, righteousness sake is different than when we get in trouble for our own sin. This is when you do right and you get in trouble anyway. You say, wait a minute, God wouldn't allow somebody to get in trouble even if they do right. Have you read the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, in the very next verse, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. 
and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I don't know. That doesn't, when people lie about me, when they talk poorly about me, when they gossip about me, I don't feel very blessed. I don't feel divine joy and perfect happiness at that moment. But you see, oftentimes, when we leave out that last part, for my sake, when it happens for the sake of Jesus, when people will, will treat you differently, when they will refuse to associate with you, when they, you don't get as many phone calls anymore, I don't know if you had that happen, but I really started to get serious about living for Christ when I was in college. And I had friends that I graduated from high school with that came with me to the college that I went to. We were all down at Ohio State. And that first year that I was down there, I tried to do all the things that my, my unbelieving friends did, and I just was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And after a year of being gone at college, I found a good church and I was discipled by somebody and I would get calls to go and do things and this person's having a party and we're going to this club and we're doing this and, and he's having people over for that. And I'm like, nah, I just, I, I don't know. I really, I really am not going to do that. You know what my pastor down there taught me to say? He's like, nah, you guys go, out, go on ahead without me. God's been too good to me for me to do that to him. You know what? They stopped calling. <laughs> They stop calling as often. When you start saying things like that, they don't want much to do with you. And to this day, it kind of hurts because one of my childhood friends refuses to respond to me at all. And we roomed together in college and he saw me grow in my faith and, and things were, you know, every once in a while we would, we would communicate, but I, I even went by happen, happenstance right to the town where he lived in, in New York one time on a trip. And I'm like, let's get together. And he absolutely refused to respond to me. That, that, that hurt some. That hurt some. But I want you to know if the reason that he did that was that he doesn't want anything to do with Jesus and he knows that I'm going to talk about Jesus, then I ought to rejoice. Verse number 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. How can you be glad, not just glad, but exceeding glad? Two things. One, remember your reward in heaven. Friends, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. There is something far greater than this. This is like the, the prologue. It's like the very beginning of the story. And there's so much more. And once we've entered into the real part of the story, that's when we find all that God has promised us. You and I, we're not going to get all of the rewards here. But there are rewards coming. And as we think to not live for this world, but for that world, and we remember that when we are treated poorly, that they treated the prophets poorly before us. You say, who were the prophets? They were the heroes of the Old Testament. They were the ones who took the word of God to God's people when they weren't doing what they ought to have been doing. Many times it was like that. And to tell them, you need to turn from the path that you're on because of the direction you're going. It's away from God. It's only going to lead you into trouble. You need to return. And they withstood great, great persecution some of them even losing their lives. And when you and I, for the sake of Christ, will identify with Jesus openly, even if it makes people talk evil about us, and it's not true, even if they persecute us and we get in trouble for it, we have good company. We are in good company because we are as the heroes of the Old Testament. These are those which were before us. You see, Jesus, when he gave this sermon, he was talking about the attitudes that the people needed to develop. Not the religious rules that they needed to keep, not the things that they needed to do, 
but the things they needed to be, what they are. They needed to be meek. They needed to be humble. They needed to be these things. So how do we apply this beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount? First of all, recognize that Jesus calls us to a higher life. Recognize that Jesus calls us to a higher life. The Beatitudes show a believer how he should live, how she should live, when they're rightly related to the Father. This is far different than how those without Christ live. This is far different than those even who go to church all the time but are still without Christ live. The Christian life is not a little bit better of a life. It's a completely different life because you're living for something different. You're living for a different world. You have completely different motivations. The things that say you win look a whole lot different than the way that the world says that you win. Because the world would say, take everything you can, climb to the top, leave however many bodies behind you you need to in order to win, do what it takes, cut the corners, cut off anybody that slows you down, and get there. But the Lord Jesus says, no, that's, that's not how you win. It might look like that's how you win, but if you remember, this, this isn't the end. There's so much more to it. It's about who and what we are, not just what we do. And it's a life that we cannot live alone. I want to stress that many times. Because without the power of Christ, we cannot be like Christ. We cannot live the Christian life without Jesus. Just like we cannot be saved without the Lord Jesus, we cannot live like Jesus without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see our need again and again. Realize that Jesus Christ calls us to a higher life. If your life and my life looks just the same as everyone around us that doesn't know Christ, we are living a life far less than what Jesus is calling us to. If we are worried like how everyone else is worried, we are missing out on what Jesus has for us. If we don't have peace, if we have as little peace as the, as the worldlings do, if we have all the anger and all the bitterness and, and all the unforgiveness, if we are trapped in all of the lust and all of the sin and all of the bondage, if we are a slave to our flesh like they are a slave to their flesh, then we are not living the life that Jesus Christ has called us to. And by the way, he did not just die to save you to live how you used to live. He died to give you eternal life that can be lived now in a much higher way than what we lived before. Recognize that Jesus calls us to a higher life. Second of all, choose one of these attitudes to develop. Whenever somebody gets together in a sermon and they realize that there's no easy way to turn this into three points, they start panicking. At least I do. Now, Brother Marion didn't panic. As Pastor Jenkins shared, uh, one time Brother Marion got up and preached, what was it, a 31-point sermon? Heinz 57, with 57 points. He wasn't scared to do that. But then again, he didn't have to deal with the nursery workers afterwards who glare at you like, Pastor, why didn't you stop him? <laughs> and so looking at all of these things, you say, I've got to be meek, and I, I've got to be humble, and I've got to be pure of heart, and I've got to be merciful, and I've got to deal with responding the right way when people are mean to me. You say, that is a lot to take in. So let's just pick one to begin with. Maybe it's humility to consciously live recognizing our need for God. You know, self-reliance is dangerous. Self-reliance is dangerous. You ever put your weight on something that wouldn't hold you up? How many of you know that I'm scared of heights to begin with? And then if you remember, we tore this roof off. 
right? And I wouldn't climb up and down the ladder. I would go up into the offices and I'd climb out the window onto the roof on the second floor and then walk over because I didn't trust ladders. And wouldn't you know, we were on the far side over by the, the very end of that, of that hallway there, the 100s hallway. I was up on top of the roof there and it was so far to get back to the window and there was a ladder right there. And I'm like, I'll just climb down the ladder. I still had one foot up on the roof and as soon as I put my other foot on that ladder, boom, that thing slid right out underneath me. I was able to throw myself back on the roof. I still had one leg up there, and I was okay. But I was already scared. And you know, Thad and all the other people are like, you're fine, you're fine, you're going to be fine. Just go up and down the ladder. And boy, did that ladder just slip right out. Because everyone had been going up and down it, and it had slowly been creeping away and creeping away until it just slipped right down. That's what it's like when we rely on ourselves. We think it's going to hold us, and then it doesn't. When we are poor in spirit... It sounds like it's a bad thing, but it's a wonderful thing because we realize how much we need the Lord. Maybe that's the attitude that you want to try and develop this year. Maybe it's compassion or to learn to mourn with others and to feel with them. Uh, it's, it's not, sometimes we're, we're bad at connecting with other people in their pain. How many of you would say that that comes to you naturally, that you, you connect with people in their pain? How many of you have trouble watching, embarrassing or sad television shows because you feel what they feel and you're like, I can't look. I can't look. I can't go through that. Some people don't have that. And they sit there and laugh at them instead of connecting and feeling with them. Maybe that's something that God wants to put into your life is to teach you how to mourn with those that are mourning, to have compassion and to minister to others that are hurting. Maybe it's meekness. Maybe it's meekness. I don't, I don't think there's anyone here like this, but maybe you tend to bowl over people to get what you want. Maybe you, you come down a little bit too hard. Maybe you pull rank a little bit too quick and you use force a little bit too quick and you kind of shove and elbow your way around. Meekness is the opposite of that. Meekness is when we yield our strength to God, when we're gentle. Maybe you want to develop that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to be desirous over the things that please the Lord. And you want to change the motivations that are in your heart right now. You want to be hungry and thirsty after other things. I have found that when I am not careful, I start to go after lesser goals. Now, maybe they're not bad goals, but they're not the main thing. And you want to be hungry and thirsty for the things that please the Lord. Maybe it's about being merciful instead of judgmental or pure in heart. You want to deal with some sin that's muddying things up. And so you, you haven't felt close to the Lord for a while. Maybe instead of being contentious and selfish and always bristling and trying to get your way, you want to be a peacemaker. Ask the Lord to grow this inside of you. Be conscious of it and ask the Lord to give you what you need to grow in these ways. So choose one of these attitudes to develop. And finally, let's rejoice when we're rejected or criticized for Christ's sake. Let's rejoice in it. I don't like being lied about, and I don't like being criticized. And I don't imagine that any of you like being lied about, and you don't like being criticized. It hurts when we're left out. It hurts when we're passed over, when we work hard, but other people get the credit for it. it that, that is no fun. But remember, this is not... By accident, this is because we've stood up for Jesus Christ. We have openly identified who we are with the Lord. I recommend that it, when you make a new acquaintance with somebody, before too long, you let them know where you stand and what you believe. 
Now, you don't have to sit down and grab the, the Columbia Road Baptist Church doctrinal statement and say, okay, we're going through this thing point by point. Sit here until I'm done. But I want people to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. One, because they might be, and we might be able to encourage each other. Two, they might not be, and I might have a chance to win them. But thirdly, it protects me because now I've put the reputation of the Lord out there. And now they know I can't pretend to not be a Christian because now they know that I am. And there's a certain expectation, and that expectation can be helpful to me to keep me accountable. God says rejoice. You are in good company. Friends, you and I might not have all of the goods of this world, but we're in good company, whether we do or not. We might not have the accolades of this world, but we are in good company. Because just like in the Old Testament, when the people of God would oftentimes go without, would oftentimes be rejected, and even God's people who should receive them would not receive them, they were still the heroes of the Lord and entered into great reward. And don't forget that great is your reward in heaven. I think that what this is teaching is that the people who are willing to stand up and to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, even when it is to their own hurt, have a greater reward waiting for them than those that cowardly refuse to name the name of Christ. And we have to get to the place where we care more about what people think of our God than they think of us. It's a hard place to be. It's a, because there's this sort of I, weird idea out there that if you are passionate about Jesus, you are weird. I've started to just kind of own that. Um, I remember a specific time, I think I've shared it before, where I was sharing the gospel with a, a worker in Walmart. She was helping me with something behind the counter, and we got to talking, and I, I thanked her so much for all of her help for me, and I said, now that I've, I've seen what you do for a living, I want to tell you what I do for a living. And I said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I said, oh, yes, I'm one of those people. I beat her to it. <laughs> I beat her to it. It sort of disarmed the whole situation. And we had a, a little bit of a laugh about it because I think she knew what I meant. Know that that kind of boldness and that, that humility that you're willing to endure what people might think about you leads to great reward in heaven. You'll never regret it. So rejoice when we're rejected or criticized for Christ's sake. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God is speaking to you about. And, and I don't know what he's speaking to you about. But perhaps you're here tonight and there isn't that much different in how you live and how maybe the other kids at your school live. Or maybe your friends that you know outside of church and church activities. Maybe there's not a lot of difference between you and the other people on the job site or in the office or, or wherever it might be in the shop. There's, there's not a, a distinct difference between you and them. And realizing that Jesus calls us to a higher life, God has gotten your attention. And you say, yes, I, I have been saved to live a life that is more than this. And Lord helping me, and in God's strength, I'm going to live that life. With nobody looking around, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anybody here tonight that would say, the Lord has, has gotten my attention. I, I've been living too much like the world and not enough 
and the, this great life that the Lord has called me to. Could I just pray for you? Is there anybody like that? Amen. Anybody else? And say, the Lord has gotten my attention. I, I need to be living for more than this. Amen. Amen. Is there one of these things that jumped out to you and you say, I want that. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be humble in spirit and rely on the Lord. I want to be compassionate and mourn with those that mourn. I want to develop that. I want to be pure in heart. I want to be able to see God more clearly. Did one of these things perhaps jump out at you? Would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. I know it jumped out at me. Amen. Amen. Ask the Lord to birth that in you, to grow that in you. He wants to. He wants to. Maybe you've had some bridges burned in your life because you've named the name of Christ publicly. Maybe people think about you and it's not always kindly what they say about you. Maybe family members, maybe old friends, maybe coworkers, maybe neighbors. And, and you know, you know that there's some unkind things that have been said or done. And it can destroy your spirit, make you not even want to talk about the Lord anymore. But here we're told to rejoice when we keep our eyes on the rewards in heaven when we remember that this is what happens when someone does a great work for God and you want to ask the Lord to help you to rejoice in that, would you just slip your hand up and say, Lord, help me to rejoice. I know it, it's, it hasn't been fun, but could you turn it to something beautiful? I'd just like to pray for you if there's anyone like that. Amen. Anybody else? Father, take this time of invitation. I thank you for those that have raised their hands. I pray that you would birth the things in their own hearts. And may the enemy not steal it away, but may it bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.